So Many Episode 1199, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. May 14th, 2021. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and this is Ask Farnoosh, a chance for us to connect, to respond to the questions that you have sent me over the last couple of weeks. And if you're curious about how to send in a question, it's very simple. You can direct message me on Instagram. You can go on the So Money Podcast website at somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, send me your question there, or you can email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. We've got questions about what to do when you earn a raise, responding to a parent's dying wish to have you buy a house already. Oh boy. And confusion about robo-advisor options and mutual funds. We're going to get into it momentarily. But first, some exciting news. I am on a Netflix show. I couldn't even believe that it was finally streaming. I filmed this way back about a year ago at the heart of COVID from our garage in Montclair. It was a freezing, raining day. And I was like, why am I even doing this? This is so, this is really pushing the limits here. And the producer, I think, like left the show. And so I was like, I don't even know if this is going to make it. They didn't have an air date for me. And uh, it's that that's TV life, y'all. It's like a lot of work and oftentimes no return. A lot of times you film things, they never air. You do it for no money or very little money. And once in a while, a show will take off. Well, this Netflix show has already been a popular show. It's called Explained, produced by Vox Media and Netflix. And this latest season is all about explaining money. So it's called Money Explained. I believe there are four or six episodes. I'm in the one about credit cards, talking all about credit scores and how credit works. It's really fun. It's narrated by Jane Lynch. So that kind of made my year. And it's just something exciting to share. I got a lot of people letting me know they saw it before I even knew it was (laughs) on Netflix. So there you go. If you're just catching up to the show and you missed out on this week's episodes, highly encourage you to go back and listen to Wednesday's episode with fashion icon designer Norma Kamali. She is 75 years young, continuing to innovate and create impact in her industry. We'll talk about how she self-funded her business with absolutely no debt and her secret to creating and selling best-selling designs. And then also on Monday, we had Lisa Phillips. She's a real estate investor who specializes in black community. Communities. She was a featured expert in my next advisor piece about the black home ownership gap and her contribution to closing the gap is to invest in black communities, help black residents continue to live in their homes. And as an investor, investing in black and brown communities, she says, is an opportunity that we don't talk about enough. And she's been doing a lot of great work educating thousands of people on how to do it like she has. I mean, she finds these fixer-uppers for you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars and does them up and is able to make some nice cash flow through renting them out. So that was this week's show. Let's go over to the iTunes review section and pick our reviewer of the week. And on Monday, JTown17 left a review calling it leading the pack. 
Jtown says, while the impact of COVID threw me, like all of us, for a loop, it became the start of my personal financial recovery journey. From eliminating all credit card debt to beginning an investment strategy, my time has been thankfully filled with the knowledge, experience, and podcasts of primarily women in the personal finance space. And Farnoosh has been leader of the pack. She's not afraid to go there, speak up, and say the things left unsaid and unknown And the care she puts into her work will leave you nothing short of inspired to do the same for yourself in your own circle. Thanks, Farnoosh. Oh my gosh, got goosebumps, JTown17. Thank you for that review. And I'm so happy to hear that while the last year, the last 14 months was horrendous and devastating in so many ways that it did for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, it was an opportunity, right, to leverage the time that we had at home and focus more on the most important things, right? Family, health, money. Sometimes we don't like to admit that we're focusing on money, but it's important, right? It's the backbone to your ability to make decisions sometimes. If you don't have money, you can't get out of bad situations. You can't create good situations. And I think COVID was a real smack in the face. And for those of us who had money, fortunately, we were able to make some decisions. We were able to move, hire some help, uh, what have you. For a lot of people, that was not the case. It was a reminder about how having money can be this real privilege, this real tool to get you um, over any adversity. But I would love to talk to you, J-Town. You win the 15-minute money session this week. Just email me, farnushedsomoneypodcast.com. Or if you're on Instagram, direct message me. I read all the DMs. I don't always respond, but I try to respond. But if I don't respond, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's just that you know, (laughs) I've moved, I have to move on with my life at some point. And maybe I'm doing dishes at the same time as I'm scrolling on Instagram. I read everything. So if you DM me and let me know that you left the review, there's a good chance I'll spot it and send you the link where you can pick a time to chat with me. All right, let's go over to the mailbag and answer Vanessa's question. Vanessa writes it and she says, Hey, Farnoosh, my father-in-law is getting older and his dying wish is to have his son, my husband, in our family buy a home because he doesn't like that we are renting and throwing money away. We are not in a position to buy just yet, but we hope to buy in the next three to five years. We're in a neighborhood where there are million-dollar homes, but the school district is a 10 out of 10, and our rent is on the cheaper side. My in-laws want to sell one of their properties to then give us the cash for a down payment. We feel we would have to move to another school district to afford something reasonable. We're in Los Angeles. Okay, so Vanessa, this does feel quite pushy to me. You know, I'm going to try to stay a little calm here, but your father-in-law, and I know it's coming from a good place, but he's being real pushy. Let's look at this from his perspective, okay, for a minute. He wants to see the two of you owning property. Why? At the end of the day, what does he really want? He wants the two of you to be financially well off, to create economic security in his mind and in many people of his generation. And still today, it's not unusual to think that rent is throwing money away. But of course, 
Now we know that renting can buy you a lot of flexibility. It can buy you time to save up for a home purchase at some point. Um, And in your case, to get into a really nice neighborhood in a more affordable way and benefit from all of the niceties of that neighborhood where people, the homeowners are paying property taxes. You're not, but you're able to benefit from that because the school districts take some of that property tax. And I get it. We were renting. My family rented in Philadelphia, outside Philadelphia in the suburbs, in one of the most expensive zip codes. But we rented and I was able to still go to the Blue Ribbon High School and my life changed. You know, for me, my my parents always say that particular move to Philadelphia was not fruitful in general for the family. We and my parents ended up actually moving back to Massachusetts after three, four years. But for me, And my brother too, who was younger, but especially for me, because the high school was just exceptional and it was free. It was public and we were paying rent. And we were so thankful that we never bought something because that would have kept us in that neighborhood longer than we would have wanted. The circumstances for leaving were personal, but it was the sort of thing where we were happy to be renting because we could just finish our lease and get get out of Dodge. So I have a very personal reason for believing in the flexibility and power that rent can afford you and not rushing to buy a home. Uh, There's this famous quote, I think it's Gandhi. He says, speed doesn't matter if you're going in the wrong direction, (laughs) right? So I want you and your husband to get on the same page about this. I hope that you two are talking and you are willing to go back to your in-laws and thank them and say that, you know, we really appreciate, we know it's coming from a good place. We really appreciate your desire for us to become homeowners, but lay out all the pros that you've got going for you right now. Rent is really below market. We're able to save. You know, they may just want to know that you're financially, quote unquote, secure. Have you talked to them about that? Are you comfortable talking to them about that? And if they want to still give you this money after selling their own property, with no strings attached, that's a much better situation. You don't want to feel like you have the golden handcuffs. I've got this money. I feel obligated to now buy something, anything, right? Just to satisfy them. You need to live your life. Going back to them with honesty. And maybe they don't know the reality of your financial life and the benefits that you're gaining right now from renting. And say that it's in the cards down the road, but we want to do it very, very thoughtfully, and to also pick an area in Los Angeles where we're going to have a strong school district. That is very important to us. We're not moving to just any place. And yeah, last time I checked Zillow, LA prices, uh, good luck. What are people doing for a living where the average home in some of these areas in Los Angeles, like $5 million? You know, I know that New York's expensive, but Los Angeles is, seems really out of control to me. (laughs) So I feel for you, Vanessa. Thank you for confiding in me and everyone listening. I know that what you're experiencing is probably not unlike what some listeners are also experiencing or witnessing. Parental pressure is a real thing. And it's a real thing that often gets us to make decisions that we will later regret. Now, I credit so much of my financial acumen and confidence to my parents. But if I listen to every single thing that they ever wanted me to do regarding money, uh, I mean, my father did convince me to buy his car And when I did, it like just fell apart. (laughs) I did not get a refund. Uh, So there are limits to sometimes what our parents can advise. And being that they are from a different generation, what worked for them worked for them, but it may not work for us. So we have to really 
you know, approach this with some realism and honesty. And I think that what they're really wanting, Vanessa, at the end of the day, is that reassurance that you two are fine. So let them know you're fine. All right, let's help out Maggie. She has a question about where to best apply her raise. She's 39 and single with no kids. She has received a one-year promotional assignment, earning $8,000 more over the next year. There's a chance that it's going to be made permanent at the end of the year. My question is, how should I put my money to work? I have no debt, but I do have $10,000 in emergency savings and $200,000 in my TSP, her thrift savings plan, which is a retirement plan. I'd also like to buy a home in the future, but I have not started saving for that because my work has kept me mobile for the last three years and I was paying off student loans. Should I use this raise towards an emergency fund, saving for a down payment or towards my retirement? Thank you in advance. Okay, Maggie. I think when you're deciding about what to do with extra money, it's always good to go from today to the future. Start with today and work your way towards the future. What are your needs today? Are they being met? Is that emergency fund enough? $10,000? I have no idea because I don't know what you actually make and what your expenses are. So if you were to lose your job, I know that may not seem likely because you just got a promotion, but weirder things have happened. But if you were to lose your job, or maybe you decide, I don't like this job and you want to give yourself some time, how much will that $10,000 buy you? How much time will that buy you? In other words, that you can continue to live in your home and pay for your necessities and even maybe some wants for how long? $10,000? Is it Is it at least four to six months? If the answer is yes, and I think you can check off that box and move on to the next more immediate thing. Now, I said immediate, right? Saving for retirement, in my mind, is more important than saving up for a home. Because if you don't save for retirement and you have a house, you're going to get to retirement with no money, but you have a house. So let's work on retirement. $200,000 in your TSP, that's a nice chunk of change. Uh, But for you, is that where you need to be? When do you want to retire, Maggie? Right, you're 39 now. You want to retire at 68, 65. Have you done some math to see how much more you need to arrive at retirement and feel comfortable so that you can pay for yourself and your expenses. I just read something that for couples, so you're single, but if you are a couple, you can divide this by two. The average health costs for couples in retirement is $300,000. So for you, that could easily be $100,000, So what you have in your retirement right now could just be enough for your health costs. $200,000 and then some. So you got to keep saving, which we know that's not the point here. We're not saying stop saving, but we're saying maybe you do want to increase your savings rate. But if you're doing at least 10 to 15% of your income every year towards retirement and you have been doing this since your 20s, I say you're on track, quote unquote on track. But that's also assuming, you know, average retirement age of in your like mid to late 60s, you're not going to have any debt. So you still have to run the calculations, but look at retirement next. Do you feel comfortable with the pace of how you're saving and how it's growing? And then if you say yes to that, then you can go back to your next immediate need, which in this case could be the home that you want to save up for. So this methodology wasn't exactly chronological, but it was going in accordance to what are your more immediate needs. Immediate need today, saving for a rainy day. Is that base covered? Okay, check, move on. Next, I would say retirement is the next important need. You've already paid off your student loans, so that's no longer a need. But now let's look at retirement. 
Are you on track there? If yes, great, move on. House, you want to save up for that. You could take this $8,000, which of course will be taxed. So it won't exactly be $8,000, but you can take a lot of that, start putting it towards a high yield savings account labeled, you know, dream home and start saving every year towards that. All right, next up is Maggie. She says, hey, Farnoosh, longtime listener here from Australia. Love your show. My nine-year-old daughter is a joint Australian-American citizen with a social security number. We're working on a college savings plan and other things to put her in a good financial position. She'll be living in Australia until she's at least 18. My question is this, is there anything we need to do to set her up for a reasonable financial quote-unquote identity in the U.S.? Do we need to start working on her credit score, which is much less important here, or take other steps in in regards to health insurance, which we don't need here, or taxes, for example. She may go to college in the U.S. or move there for work. Thanks so much. I love this question. I, I, I'm going to just preface and say I'm not an expert on international law or you know international finance even, but I do know that if you're 18 years old here in this country, uh, this is when you're usually interested in starting in establishing credit because eventually when she goes to maybe live here and she wants to apply for a lease, landlords will want to see her credit history. And, you know, of course, if she's going to apply for a credit card at some point, it's best to have some sort of credit history. So how she can start establishing credit history now, I'm not so sure because she's in a foreign country and you said it's not that important in Australia, but when she moves to the States and let's say she goes to college here, every campus usually has their own credit union, right? That's associated with the college or the town. Great place to go and get your feet wet when it comes to all things banking, all things credit. It's what I did when I went to Penn State. Uh, we went immediately onto the credit union on campus, opened up a savings account and got a credit card for emergencies. But it was a great way to establish a banking relationship locally for her to be able to deposit some money while she's at school, if she gets a job, to have a place to deposit the money, but also to get either a credit card or if they won't give her a credit card because it's her first time, she could get a secured card. A secured card is essentially a debit card, but has credit aspects to it. So a debit card where you put money onto it, like say $500, it's your money, but then you use it like credit. So you essentially have a $500 credit limit, which is your money, and you pay yourself back every single month. And that secured card, the activity gets reported to the credit reporting agencies. So you are in fact building credit with this sort of credit card on training wheels called a secured card. Eventually after a year of that, you could be upgraded to an actual credit card. So it is possible for her that once she lands in the US and starts going to school or getting a job that she can start to establish credit fairly quickly unless she plans to buy a house and get a mortgage when she's first thing she does when she gets here, that might be a little difficult because you have no credit history. But slowly she can start to do this. And eventually when she wants to buy a car, get an apartment, open up a snazzy credit card, she'll have some credit history, which will be important. So that's credit. Health insurance, I know it's luckily free in Australia, but here it's not. And by then, who knows? You know, she's nine now. So in another nine, 10 years, I hope that our state of healthcare has improved in a decade, but it's anyone's guess. I would say if you were planning for her today to come to the States to be 
protected as far as health insurance goes, she would need to apply for health insurance. You can enroll in a student health plan. Some colleges offer student health plans. You can also get a marketplace plan. You know, if she were in the States with you, if you were in the States with her working, technically she'd be able to take advantage of your health insurance until she reaches 26. But otherwise, wherever she's going to school, that state, she can apply for health insurance in that state, wherever she's going to school. Taxes, I have no idea. That I would say talk to an accountant who lives here and ask that person about predictions or things to look out for for your daughter when she moves here. I mean, I assume that if she's a U.S. citizen, she's going to come here, she might get a job, she'll start to pay taxes, right? It's like, I think that should be pretty straightforward. There's nothing really you can do to prepare for taxes. It's just you got to pay them and you got you to follow the IRS rules once you're here. Thanks, Maggie. All the way from Australia. I am truly, truly heartened by this. I'm so happy to know that we have a fan base out in Australia. Thank you. All right. Last but not least, we have a question from Rose in the audience. Dear Farnoosh, I've been listening to your show for several years now. It's allowed me to feel mostly confident about my fiscal choices. The one thing I'm confused about are the robo-advisor options versus mutual funds. I have an Elevest account, an Acorns account, and a Robinhood account. I'm putting my investment property up for sale and I'm curious what you might suggest doing with the profits in regards to these three account options. The decision to sell the property was difficult because it's a great income stream, but as a new mom who works full time, having this additional responsibility has just been a lot for my husband and I and the laws of New York State have made being a small scale landlord very difficult if anything were to go wrong with a tenant. The majority of the proceeds will be going towards a kitchen renovation, but I'm not sure if I should deposit any surplus into one of these robo-advisors, or would you recommend a mutual fund? I'm kind of unsure how they're all different, and I'm looking for an option that might help make up for the approximately $500 a month we've been getting when the property is fully rented. I already have the usual stuff like retirement, an HSA, a Roth, an emergency fund for six months. My husband works at a college with tuition benefits. So a 529 doesn't seem necessary, but figuring out something that can grow now to access in the future for my son, who's only eight months, or another investment opportunity is tripping me up. I'm turning 35 in June. I feel like I need to level up in this investment game, but I can't figure out what the move is. Thank you for consistently delivering a great product. All right, Rose, so much to think about here. What I'm sensing from your description here is that this extra money is not the money that you need to quote unquote live off of, that it is extra, right? It's the money that you're gonna now use to put into some sort of interesting investment vehicle. It's going from one already interesting investment vehicle, which is real estate, to something else. You don't wanna go back into the real estate game, but what is something else that can feel like you're up-leveling your finances. Now, going back to the robo-advisors you talked about, you have uh, Elevest, Robinhood, and Acorns. I'm familiar with them. I've used some of these to some extent. You know, with Elevest, I do know, I actually spoke with Sally Krawcheck this week at an event and they're doing incredible there. You know, she's just uh, attracting so many investors. They have over a billion dollars in 
assets under management. And the way that she described it to me, the experience is that you go there, you tell them what your goals are and your risk tolerance and some other important criteria, and they create a portfolio for you that's designed to meet your needs. Now, they're not going to be able to guarantee $500 a month for you in returns, right? But they want to know how risky are you. And for something that will be a higher reward, like $500 a month, the portfolio might be higher risk. So it could be adjusted to be more of a higher risk portfolio that in it will have ETFs that will hopefully take you to that finish line. Again, not guaranteed. No investments are guaranteed. But with Elevest, you do have that opportunity to tell them about yourself and what your goals are. And they can create a portfolio for you that might might be the best fit. But let's move on. You also have Robinhood and you also have Acorns. Now, Acorns, like Elevest, sort of similar. They can create a portfolio for you with diversified uh, funds after asking you a bunch of questions about yourself. Robinhood doesn't do that, right? Robinhood is really a trading platform. This is high risk stuff. You don't go in there and create like a retirement account. They sell stocks and crypto primarily. So, Again, how much risk do you want to take with this money? This is important because if you want to go and create a crypto fund, let's say, you could open up a Coinbase or Robinhood account and do that. You really need to think about this money in terms of how, do you, how would you feel about this if you lost it, right? If you didn't really feel like it would change your life then maybe you do go really aggressive with this and you put it in something aggressive and you can do that through Robinhood, through Coinbase, and you can also do it through Elevest, right? They're not going to get your money into crypto at Elevest, but they could put it into a diversified portfolio that is more aggressive. You can find a more aggressive mutual fund, right? So like I just found a fund. I was a little bit interested in cryptocurrency. I'm not going to go buy some random currency like Dogecoin or whatever, but I'm interested in blockchain. I think there's a lot of merit to the infrastructure around which crypto lives, right? And engages. And so I thought, what are some like diversified ways, smarter ways to kind of get into this market without putting all my eggs into one currency or one one stock, right? And so there are funds that invest in an array of companies, typically software or fintech companies that are themselves investing in blockchain. They're either building software to make blockchain more efficient or other things. And so I found one and I invested in it, you know, and this is for me, this is not money that I need to retire on. It's not money that I need for a down payment on a home. It's not money that I need to feed my kids with. This is money that to your point, you know, you have extra and you want to feel like you're doing some up-level stuff and this is up-level stuff, but it's not to say that it is like genius I'm not here to predict that this money is going to double or triple, but it's a way to sort of, you know, quote unquote, gamble a little bit with the money. There could be high returns, but I got to take high risk. And I bought it two days ago and we this week and the market tanked uh, midweek. So it's not doing so hot right now, but I think it has a lot of potential and I'm not going to touch it. For years, I'm just going to maybe continue to add a few hundred bucks to it every month. That is, I think, getting to what you're asking about, right? Which is how can we up-level our, our investment choices to be a little bit more sophisticated? But it doesn't mean that you're being smarter. It just means that now you're in a place where you're more comfortable to take on risk. That real estate investment that you had, that's not as unpredictable as cryptocurrency. 
But even that, you know, you were testing the waters, you were testing your risk tolerance there. And I think now maybe you're ready for something even equally or more risky. Okay. So maybe it's real estate funds, right? Have you thought about that? You could find a mutual fund or real estate investment trust, a REIT, where you can invest in housing and real estate, commercial real estate, properties, personal real estate without actually being a landlord. So that could be an interesting area for you. Let's see where that leads you and check out while you're at it on the So Money podcast. We've had some guests on who've talked about real estate investing through these funds. And actually there are these two ladies who co-started a company called Good Egg Investments, Good Egg Investments. And essentially it's passive investing in real estate. They invest in real estate for their investors and you check them out. It might send you down a rabbit hole, but I think this might be your jam because you're coming from real estate. This might be the next best way to stay in that category without the work. All right. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to watch Money Explained on Netflix this weekend. You won't be disappointed. And I'll see you back here on Monday. I hope your weekend is so money. <laughs>